0: Well, last week we finished a seven-week series that we were doing called Journey of the Soul. And this morning we're, we're starting a new series called Songs of Ascents. And what we want to do is we want to con- continue looking at the spiritual journey that we're, we're all on and to be encouraging one another to continue uh, with intentionality on this spiritual journey. Many Christian traditions... Uh, other religions and, and various groups encourage pilgrimage, taking a physical trip to a place of special significance. So places like the Vatican City, uh, Camino Way in Spain, Jerusalem, Istanbul, Turkey, Geneva, Switzerland, Anaheim, California, Kansas City, Missouri, or, or Montgomery, Alabama, places that hold, again, special significance to that group or or that religion. These pilgrimages that we take help make concrete the spiritual journey that we're all on. We're all journeying toward God together. And to be on the journey, it requires and accesses the love and power of God. Now, in the Psalms, there are... uh, a collection of, of Psalms called the Songs of Ascents. And there are 15 Psalms from Psalms 120 to 134. So we're going to be looking at these various Psalms through the rest of the summer. Now, as a reminder about the Psalms in general, or, or maybe you didn't know this, the Psalter, which is another name for this collection of books, is the prayer and the song book of the Bible. The Psalms are 150 divinely inspired songs and poems that God's people have been able to sing and pray to faithfully communicate who God is, to talk about God's faithful love to Israel and what a life of faithfulness to God looks like. Now, since these poems are inspired, it lets us know that expressing all emotions is acceptable to God. Psalms 1 and 2 is widely are widely seen as the introduction for the whole Psalter. Psalm 1 is largely about uh, how great God's instruction is and what a life of faithfulness to that instruction looks like. Psalm 2 is about how great God is and his Messiah and, and the urging to be faithful to God. But then there's a collection of psalms when we live life according to God's instruction or, and worshiping him, and life doesn't make sense. So we have the lament psalms. It's a way of saying, God, it's not working out. There's a glitch in the system. Somebody hit the reset button. So over the next few months, as I said, we're going to look at these 15 psalms. Again, Psalms 120 to 134. And again, they're called the Songs of Ascents. And it's ascent as in going up. See, wherever you are in Israel, if you are going to Jerusalem, you are going up. Because Jerusalem's one of the highest points in Israel, but it's the most significant. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. And these songs were ones that were recited as the, the faithful Israelites would go on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. See, three times a year, a faithful Israelite would leave their home and go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship God and to celebrate a festival. Now, even though the, the, the faithful Israelite is going to Israel to celebrate a festival, to worship God, these are not all happy, clappy psalms. They're honest about life. Right? Sometimes we think we've got to be in a good mood in order for us to go into a holiday with the, the right attitude or, or go into worship. We've got to be in a good mood. But it gives us permission to say, God, life isn't great right now. There, these are a collection of songs that help us be honest about where we are while we look at God. As I said, an Israelite would three times a year make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem that doesn't sound very convenient have the have the holidays ever felt inconvenient has a vacation ever felt inconvenient has going to worship ever felt inconvenient if you answered yes to any of those questions welcome to the club there's plenty of room Now, as they would go on these pilgrimages, it would be the whole family. And they would often travel in groups. So the kids were involved. The groups were for protection and for sanity. Are we there yet? How much longer? It's hot. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I have to go to the bathroom. This would have come at financial cost to the Israelites. But the pilgrimage itself is an expression of trust. It's saying, God, I trust that you're going to protect my home while I'm gone. Or that, God, you're going to protect me and my family and the possessions that we bring with us from thieves or bandits while we're on the road. So as we go through these psalms with the pilgrims, we're going to be journeying toward God together. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 120. If as we go through this series, you're interested to read more reflections on these these psalms, I highly encourage a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship, In an instant society. These are great reflections on uh, each of these Psalms, and um, it's always helpful to read anything from Eugene Peterson. So I'll read uh, Psalm 120: A Song of Ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Lord, Rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. What will he give you and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal. What misery that I have stayed in Meshech and that I have lived among the tents of Kedar. I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace but when I speak, they are for war. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, your people have been on a journey from the beginning, and we are joining in that. And as we, as a church, been looking at the journey that we're all on, I ask continued insight into where we are, into what we need for where we are at this moment. And give us hope for the destination. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So of all the places that these songs could have started out, they start out in distress. So in our journey with God, we start where we are. It's the only place that we can start because God deals with us where we are, not where anybody else is, not where we think we should be, but where we are. It's the only place that we can start. And this morning as we walk through what What we're going to see is on this journey, we need community, and we need enemy love. Now, again, looking at verse 1, it's largely reflecting back on the prayer that the speaker prayed. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Now, this, this word for distress can be internal or external, really feeling claustrophobic. He's surrounded. He has nowhere to go. Oftentimes we wait until the last minute before we turn to God. We can turn to God before that, before we exhausted all other options. But even if we wait, God hears and responds, as he did to the speaker here. Then it says he called to the Lord. Common word for communication, communication. And often when somebody's in a distressing situation, right, this is an audible request. It's something that we f- actually say out loud, not just this, a prayer that we say in our heart or our mind. It's probably best translated using a highly technical English word, help. It's, it's the prayer that we prayed maybe when we've exhausted all the other four-letter words. This is the four-letter word that brings Breakthrough. It doesn't care about propriety. It says, God, I need it now. It's an expression of childlike faith. I don't care what you're doing right now, God. I need your help. I'm working slowly through a book that Randy loaned to me called Renovated. And uh, one of the authors is a guy named Dr. Jim Wilder. And he tells this story about uh, when he was a camp counselor. He was out... uh, and a, a storm came out of nowhere, and, his, and he was by himself, and he found his way inside the nearest building, and he, th- he thought he was all alone, and then he realized there was another counselor, a, a young woman, curled up in the corner in, a, in the fetal position, and she was totally unresponsive uh, to him as he was saying her name and, and shaking her. He was freaking out, didn't know what was going on, so he just blurts out, Jesus, Help! and right away she snaps out of it and stands up come to find out this was connected to some chi- some trauma as a child during a thunderstorm so any time a thunderstorm would happen she was in this completely helpless position but Jim Wilder was in distress so he called to the lord in the way that the psalmist did and he saw god respond instantly The prayer that the speaker prays is that the Lord would rescue me from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. I think this is actually a reflection on Leviticus 19.11, which says, Do not steal, do not act deceptively, or lie to one another. Now, most likely, the speaker is talking about other people. Keep other people from me who would lie and deceive me. But it's a great prayer for ourselves. May I not have lying lips and a deceitful tongue. As we read throughout the Bible, speech is heavily emphasized. Its importance is heavily emphasized. Jesus himself said in Luke 6.45, A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart for his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. God is a God of integrity. If he says something, he's going to do it. And as his representatives, it's essential we're the the same way. Now that may feel a little ethereal, so let's put some flesh on it. Have you ever met somebody who's really kind and gentle to somebody's face, and as soon as they're gone, cuts them down. I know none of us have. We probably just all, we know somebody, right? But none of us have done that. And the reality is, if they're doing it to other people, there's a near 100% chance they're doing that to us as well. We cannot build trust that way. Trust is essential for community, We need community in our pilgrimage. We may not have life-threatening external circumstances, but we need community. And so a person who deceives and lies is not one that we can build community with. Rather, we need to be people that speak the truth in love to one another. It doesn't mean we say whatever pops into our head, Right? But as we're in relationships with people, sharing observations that we, we've made, asking them to you know, help, help me understand what's going on. Is that the type of person you want to be? If we do that and we can show that our relationship with one another is not dependent on behavior, it's incredibly restorative. This helps another person encounter God's love in a tangible way. Small groups are a great context for these types of relationships. We get to physically, tangibly communicate that we're glad to be with that person. And it's a way that we help one another mature in Christ. Again, This is why we want to keep lying lips and deceitful tongues far from us. Now, the author has confidence that God's going to rescue him because of the next two verses. He's speaking to the, the tongue. What will he give you and what will he do to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with burning charcoal. The speaker believes that there's justice Deceit and lies lead to an arrow through the tongue. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound pleasant. The Bible does not treat uh, teach retributive justice, right? Not every lie and deceit is met with a flaming arrow. Thank God for that that our, we none of us are treated as our sins deserve. I'm incredibly thankful for God's mercy in my life. Rather, there is justice through sowing and reaping. The author is talking about not just a tongue that occasionally deceives, but it's a deceitful tongue. It's essentially all it can do. The person who lies and deceives regularly will have that come back on them and the author uses the imagery of this arrow that's been hardened with burning charcoal. Now, this idea of sowing and reaping is actually something we can practice. Don't do it with lies and deceit, right? If there's anything that you want to see more of in your life, initiate it. Often we wait for other people to do it to us, but if you want to see it in your life, Put it out there. Start sowing. A practice, a positive experience, experiment. Right. If lying and deceiving is harmful to other people, let's do the opposite of affirmation and encouragement to build them up. Here's how I suggest to conduct this experiment. Figure out your baseline for encouragement that you receive. How often. In a week, do you receive encouragement from other other people? Whatever whatever that looks like for you. Think about that. Figure that out. And then for at least a week, encourage and affirm every single person that you come in contact with. Now, I don't know how long it'll take, but I can guarantee you, money-back guarantee, you will see more affirmation and encouragement coming to you. Over 14 years ago, my wife and I were at uh, Evanston Vineyard, incredibly influential in my wife, in, in my life, and uh, Cheryl, I remember one of your messages, Bill and Cheryl Hanewall are with us. They faithfully serve one of the founding pastors at Evanston Vineyard, and yes, give them, give them a hand. We're so thankful that they are here with us, and I don't remember what Cheryl was speaking about, but I remember this illustration Right? How many times does that happen? I don't know what you were saying, talking about. But Cheryl was very transparent with everybody and said, when I need encouragement, I seek out Melody. Because I know just talking with Melody, she's going to affirm and encourage me. And now, from what I remember, Melody always grew up in a family where they were always encouraging each other and affirming one another. And I'd be willing to bet that Melody receives a lot of encouragement and affirmation. Is that true? Yeah, I'm getting, getting some agreeing nods, right? She's a woman that sows encouragement and affirmation. Our own Ian Ray is so great about affirming and encouraging other people. And he's regularly celebrated and cheered on. That's not a coincidence, Community, again, is essential in our journey toward God. And affirmation and encouragement helps build up community. Now, the last three verses the, seem to be the speaker elaborating on how bad his situation is. Okay, he says, again, what misery that I've stayed in, in Meshach and that I've lived among the tents of Kedar." I have dwelt too long with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, these cities that he names are just associated with pagan people that would have been hostile to the Israelites. So they, they hate peace, or the Hebrew word shalom. Now, shalom is not just about absence of conflict, It's actually being in a place of thriving because you're in right relationship with Yahweh and with those around you. That's shalom. Now, not all conflict is bad, but when we are in a place of conflict, it's a reminder that things are not as they should be. Earlier, I mentioned the book Renovated, and it's essentially about intersection of neuroscience and spiritual formation, yeah, I do. Lo- I love to party. <laughs> and what they share in this book is that brain scans show us that if we're in conflict with somebody, just in conflict with somebody, somebody that we love, our brain cannot differentiate between that person and an enemy. Yeah, wow. Oftentimes we have an enemy, our enemy is anybody that we is a them. If we have an us them mentality, our enemy falls in the them category. Right? So us, our people, is right. We're the ones that are right. And everyone who disagrees or doesn't agree as strongly as we do, they're a them. right this fall this happens politically socially theologically even with sports god is with us right you want to be one of us cuz god's with us we're on the side of truth when we're in conflict our brain again treats the other person as a them so our spouse or our kids can be our enemy when we're in conflict. Our coworkers, our boss, customers, subordinates, they become our enemy when we're in conflict. Jim Wilder tells this story as a uh, as a therapist. He had an office right next to the lobby and his door was always open and one of the groups uh, that would meet there was for abused and battered women and he said he could feel the death stares that these women would give him be- because he's a man and he could hear them talking about him and they wouldn't walk past his office unless there was a group of them to walk together and they would either scurry past his 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 office or they would give him death stares all the way as they were walking to their meeting. As a man, Jim was a them for these these women. Totally makes sense. These women needed healing from Jesus. They needed other women in their lives who could stand in healthy relationship with them until they could be at a place of being in relationship with men again. That's how powerful our brains can be with regard to viewing others as our enemy. Now, the psalm seems to end without resolution. The author says, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they're for war. What I suggest to you this morning is that the resolution is in the destination. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the place where God's presence dwells. They're longing for the day when Yahweh's Messiah will be king over all the earth. They're longing for a day when their enemies will be defeated. Friends, Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection means we don't have to have the us-them mindset anymore. We can be freed from that and we can Love. learn to actually love our enemies in the midst of conflict. It doesn't mean we condone or accept unhealthy behaviors toward us, but we're freed from having to be right because the Lord's caring for us. This isn't just wishful thinking or relegating this just to the spiritual realm, but Psalm 23.5 can be a lived reality. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we're in a place of fear or conflict, we're not thinking about sitting down to eat. But we can live in such a way that though our enemies are surrounding us, we have the peace that allows us to receive physical or spiritual nourishment. And one of the challenges that the authors present in Renovated is that they argue spiritual and emotional maturity is actually measured by spontaneous love for our enemies. Spiritual and emotional maturity is measured by spontaneous love for our enemies regardless of how somebody views us, we're able to maintain a posture of love. For those of you familiar with Danny Silk, this is keeping your love on. So how we love our enemies reflects the way that God loved us when we were his enemies. Jesus perfectly embodied enemy love Love by going to and while on the cross. That's what it looks like to love our enemies. Perhaps this past week, we've had opportunities to love our enemies. The Supreme Court ruling uh, overturning Roe v. Wade is an opportunity to love those who disagree with us. Now, I wanna say briefly, but make emphatically clear, that love for others in the Bible is desiring their best and acting accordingly. It is not just giving the person what they want, there's lots of application in our lives. It is not always loving to give the other person what they want. It is not loving another person to stay in an abusive or unhealthy relationship. Sometimes the most loving thing that we can do is to get away from that person or to let them know we're not gonna help them anymore because it's not what's best for them. Boundaries are loving and healthy. Now, I'd love to give five easy steps on how to get to that place. (laughs) But it's not possible to give just those steps. Rather we get there by being secure in God's love for us. By having healthy relationships where love is demonstrated on a regular basis. Places where we can give and receive joy to communicate to one another we're glad to be with them. Places where our relationship with them, our love for them, rather, is not dependent on behavior. Because again, we're journeying toward God together. Jesus brought God's shalom to earth and loved his enemies. You and I, friends, before we trusted Jesus, we're God's enemies, and God loved us. And that's what won us over. And we get the opportunity to to express that to our neighbors, our co-workers, even if it feels like our enemy is in our own home, to demonstrate enemy love that Jesus showed us. So at this time, if the Band can come up, and anybody on the ministry team? If you'll come forward. So, one of the practices that we're going to do throughout this series is encourage prayer walks, right? That To help us continue with this pilgrimage theme that we'll be experiencing throughout this series. And what I would encourage specifically as you go on these prayer walks is to bless your enemies. Think about those that you're in conflict with and ask God to bless them. Ask God to help you love them. Last week when Steve Sargent shared, he, he talked about a practice uh, when, it, when it's difficult for him to love somebody, that he asks God, God, what do you think about this person? Would you share with me your thoughts about that person? And when we receive God's perspective, it's hard to be angry at that person or to hate them. And it's impossible to bless and hate somebody at the same time. So again, we're all going on a journey toward God together through this song of ascent. This week, we looked at starting where we are, just being honest about where we are, starting there. And then the necessity of community, being with people to encourage and af- affirm us and for us to express uh, encouragement and affirmation. And that we are actually able to love our enemies love those even while we're in the midst of conflict. And so, this morning, if you want uh, to receive prayer for anything, we, our, our prayer teams are happy to pray for you uh, a physical need, emotional, mental, and any need that you might have. Our teams would love to pray, but perhaps this morning, we're sp- feeling the need for repentance, which is such a good word. Repentance is such a good word. It means we just get to change our mind. We change our mind about how we're living life, how we're viewing other people, and to start going God's way with it. So if you want to have one of these uh, ministry teams pray with you and for you in that, um, invite you to do so, or... You know, that's something you can just do with the Lord where you are. Just being honest and asking for his help to love the person um, maybe, maybe we're in conflict right with right now. Or to be a person who generously sows encouragement and affirmation. You're welcome to hang out just to pray, listen to music, or or receive prayer from one of our ministry teams. Or if you need to pick up your kids, you're released to do so. May you go this week, sowing affirmation and encouragement to those you encounter and loving those you're in conflict with.